Two signature images from the weekend of sports, both Min Woo Lee. One on the party hole, 17, chef's hat on, conducting the Viking clap and winning the crowd over. And the other, the bent knee celebration after chipping in for Eagle at nine, a shot that his coach said won him the tournaments. The back page headline of the Courier Mail is Woo Hoo. I know out on the fairways on Saturday with Min Woo Lee was Robert Craddock. This is our last chat for the year before we both hit the test circuit. Hello to you, Crash. G'day, Jared. Yeah, it's a nice, nice little entree that uh, he's quite something, isn't he, uh, Min Woo Lee? Yeah, just, just and a dem- demographic that golf so needs, you know, that young, cool guy. The energy that he created. So uh, the two aspects for me is... One of these two tournaments, the PGA or the Australian Open, they're a part of every significant CV of an Australian golfer. And at 25, he has the first of those. And the second is, I reckon everyone knew the name, but the facial recognition wouldn't have been quite as high until yesterday when he won the crowd over. Absolutely. And and and, and he really did. Like, I... I Walked a few holes with him on Saturday. I could sense it. I could hear it. I could feel it on the party hole. Just uh, you could almost, you know, that tangible feeling you're seeing a guy's profile rise almost by the hour. Yeah. But look, he had a really nice year. In three of the four majors, he had finished 21st or better. And at the pre-tournament dinner, Adam Scott, they asked, uh, they had a panel discussion and they said to Adam Scott, right, we're going around, but you've got to say what you admire most about the person on your right. To the person on his right was Min Woon Lee. And he said, I'll tell you something I've noticed about him. He rises with the big occasion, and it's a rare and very precious skill. And you saw that at the majors this year. When the heat's, Adam said, when the heat's on, you know, the sense of sort of showman within him, the big stage guy, some guys are born for it. He said, and this fellow is... And he said, I'm telling you, very few are. And I just thought of that yesterday. He was going 16, 17, 18 and, you know, having a little bit of by play with the crowd, the chef's hat. I mean, most golfers would be too superstitious of that, thinking, oh, what if I had a 17 on the last? Yes, Lose. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, that's how blokes think. They're terrified of jinxing themselves, whereas he's got that swagger of the Generation Z who, you know, just, 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 uh, you, know, you know, a couple of hundred thousand uh, social media fans and that's getting bigger and bigger. It's taken golf to a, to a place where it needs to go and finds very difficult to go. And that, that's what was so significant, Crash, is golf has, golf in this country has such a capacity to regenerate. And, and even the honour roll for this tournament recently has been Cam Smith and Adam Scott. So they've dominated, they've come back, they're the players of their generation. And now we've got the next one, coming through and at 25 years of age is I, at the end of yesterday's broadcast, I was thinking, right, there's the bloke we're barracking for, for the next 15 years. Oh yeah. And what I sort of like about it too, he's a few years younger than Cam Smith, but Cam takes it to a completely different part of the golfing world. Like he's a beer. First thing he does when he gets home to Brisbane is have a pie. He's a Forex gold man and he's Travis Head. You know, whereas Minwoon definitely isn't. You know, he's at a completely different sort of uh, demographic, and and that's the charm of both of them is is very unique. So that that's right, and I think. But to be born to, to just you just get a feel sometimes of a guy who just loves the spotlight, and he does. You know, he gives 
punchy press conferences. He's sort of out there on social media. Um, you know, his sponsors enjoy him. So I think you're right. Golf, just when you think Australia could be entering a flat patch and you're, you know, you're seeing guys sort of fade to, you know, Adam Scott's at the other end of his career, yep. isn't he? Where, and suddenly they just appear. It's quite wonderful. So Cam Smith missed the cut and was, you would have seen this, he was highly emotional, which gave you an insight into just how much it means to him. How did you take that in? Interesting. Yeah, he met the press boys uh, after the last when he missed the cut by, was it eight or nine shots, after being a three-times winner of the tournament. I have to say I loved it, you know, in a, in a quirky sort of way because you've got to remember the guy signed on to live for $150 million, so he's playing for beer money in the PGA. But I reckon there's three or four factors at play here, Jared. One, he did accept um, uh, appearance money to play at the tournament, so he's hating the fact that he's not living up to that by being there on the weekend. He even turned up on the weekend to sign autograph for kids. Secondly, a lot of his mates who are blue-collar boys are saying, mate, I can't get there before Saturday, yeah, but I can't, yeah. can't wait for the last two days. And he only sees them once a year. This is his tournament. And I know there were people out there with – I saw the, all these shirts with mullets on them and, and you know, some guys had mullets fastened to their hats. You know, they were <laughs> artificial hair. And, and, and it had a really nice vibe. And he loves that. It's the one play. We, we, see, we forget that uh, unlike an AFL team, he has one home game a year, like one truly home game a year. And guess what? He was out of it at half time by not making the cut. So he was. It just wasn't him. He was missing greens. He was missing short parts. And he's got the game's best short game, and uh, just really at, down on himself. But what people loved about it, Jared, was he cared. He cared about letting his mates down and he cared about letting the tournament down at a time when he doesn't have to care about anything. His battle's run and won. He's worth 150 million Australian and yet he was sort of filthy on himself. So I'm saying this, that in a quirky sort of way, I sort of uh, admired him even more for that reaction than winning the tournament last year in, yeah. in a quirky sort of way. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And it's golf's feature fortnight. So you talk about Cam having one home match a year. Is these the two weeks that matter most to Australian golf, the PGA into the Australian Open? It, it, I think having been at the, um, at the Phoenix Open earlier in the year, every tournament should have a party hole. We know it works spectacularly well in Adelaide for Liv. This was Royal Queensland's first go at it. How did you think it went? Yeah, I went and stood there for about 40 minutes <laughs> and felt, Jared, every bit of my 62 years because <laughs> I was stone cold sober and it was 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the crowd were still very nicely, nicely, even at that hour. I don't know what time they started. Um, if you, I've got to, I'm trying not to sound 110 years old here. <laughs> But for mine, it was it – was, I like the concept. And golf needs every fan it can get. And it has been too serious. But I felt the sweet spot was somewhere between where the, the, the reverential silence on the rest of the course and the ACDC thumping, shouting and kiss sort of shouting out loud uh, at the party hole. Like I, I, I – it's, it's not sort of my scene and – but I, I've got a – 
you know, I, I did look at the round and the guys were enjoying themselves. So yeah, I I I I, I can see it's got it's got a place. Yeah, I think um, differentiating it from the rest of the course, and then it, it really is up to the golfers to either embrace that or not. Uh, it makes it a, a sort of a signature ticket to go and and be there for a while, and it and it can be your jam or not, depending how you feel when you get there. But the high end corporate part of it at, at Phoenix was was really something, and that has differentiated that tournament. And I remember leaving there earlier in the year, thinking, well, every, every tournament should have one of these. This is not exclusive to the vibe at Phoenix, and it just adds to the how do you want to how do you want to savor the day? You can wander the fairways. And pick your, you know, every third hole or however you want to do it, or sit on one hole all day, or you can go and and be part of something exuberant, which I know at times has spilled over the top. It was Robert Allenby who took exception those years ago, wasn't it? But I think it's a worthy dynamic to have uh, attracting that that next generation of fan. Uh, yeah, and I guess one thing I've got to concede, Jared, is this: um, golf can be a challenging sport to, to watch live. Uh, as in, you know, it's not like sitting in the stand at the MCG where you take your blissful comfort and just you, you see everything. Like you've got to hustle and bustle. You miss so much. So television, is, it gives you the best view of all by a mile. So if you're going to brave it and get onto the course, I can really understand them offering attractions for you to do that. So, um, yeah, it was, was interesting. And and Adam Scott gave an interesting little insight into playing with Tiger Woods, speaking of big crowds at the dinner, where Tiger had a little tactic where <laughs> he would often, if he was playing a key rival, putt out if it was a three-foot putt. Yep. And, of course, you know what happens when he putts out, don't Everybody you? Everybody goes. Everybody goes, and you might just have your own go now, pal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and may I say... That's in contrast to Jack Nicholas, who I know uh, used to do the opposite. And sometimes he would say to playing partners, he said, look, I'm not trying to sound big headed here, but if you get a three foot putt, putt out and go, because as soon as I putt, uh, everyone, a lot of people move on to the next hole. So he said, don't be offended by that, but I'm thinking of you, which was, that's what made Jack, Jack. Yeah. How important are these tournaments still, Crash? Is while the summer of golf is longer, it's these two tournaments that harness all the attention. It was an excellent field at the PGA. It's a good field uh, coming for the Australian Open, which we're going to talk about a little later in the program today as well. Is How important are these moments for golf locally? Well, just it, 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 golf led a double life through COVID, didn't it? Because we couldn't get the big tournaments uh, for a year or two in, in Australia, but and then they had a reduced tournament, um, you know, we're, we're com restricted to locals. But at ground level, it was booming. Everybody wanted to hit a ball at the driving range. And so it's terrific for Australia to re-establish itself. And it means something to the players. There's a lot of European players like Eddie Pepperell's out here and players like that wanting to get uh, European points and... For some players, like one of the reasons Smith was so upset, his live tournament doesn't count for world ranking points and he's desperate to make the Olympics and he needs ranking points with guys like Minwoo and Lee going so well. So it's important. We only get a couple of shots at it in Australia and, 
you know, the grand old days when Gary Player and Jack Nicholas used to say in press conferences, oh, it feels like the the extra major, this one, the fifth major, you know, they, they're long gone, but there's still, still a place for this tournament. And uh, I, I thought it was a very good tournament on the weekend. I really did. Everywhere you went, you sort of knew someone in the three. Yeah. You know, it was just... It might have been a Rod Pampling coming back and playing in his early 50s and talking to a few mates. You know, it might have been an Ogilvy, Jeff Ogilvy, or it might have been a young star. But it's a good sign to wherever you turned, you know, it might have been Mikkel, uh, you know, you just sort of knew someone and it was great. Do you remember Michael Block, who was the club pro earlier in the year at the US PGA? He he played the final round with Rory McIlroy. He had the hole in one. Yes. Yeah, so he's going to join me later in the show today. So he's here for the Australian Open, and he's had a phenomenal time since. So he's he's living the dream of every club pro who never quite made it, uh, yeah. and since that moment he's been in such demand. He's been around the world, and he's been brought out here for the Australian Open this week. Well, I've got a question you've got to ask him, all right? And it's a controversial one, uh, but i tell you what it is. It's that... I really enjoyed it when they signed him up because he's sort of every man's hero yeah, in a way. Yeah. The, the bloke we always wanted to be who's living the dream. But when when the PGA posted on social media, there was just this discord from uh, several ex-golfers and, and a couple of caddies saying, hang on, if he hasn't got the, you know, no, no, it shouldn't come to this. You should not have, he's costing someone a place in this field, you know what I mean? Because he, he's been invited as a novelty act and there'd be some guy in the rankings who, who, who should be there ahead of him. And it went on and on on Twitter and I thought, goodness me, it's just one place. But it was there, Jared. Yeah. And, I, and, and I reckon a good question for Michael Block is, have you had any resistance uh, in in to as you travel to anyone saying, oh gosh, you know, I wish I could have got an exemption like that because it is part of the story. You know, people, you know, he 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 he's gone outside the normal qualifying route to to get in. So it'd be an interesting story for Michael Block. Robert Craddock, wisdom and experience on a Monday morning. I've got a lot of cricket questions, a lot of cricket issues to set up what's to come in in December and January when we hit the road for the Test Summer. Australia's team thrashed last night by India in the second of the T20s. We'll delve into cricket with Crash in a moment. Melbourne's weather, drizzle at times. Hasn't there been drizzle? Top of 19 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on a Monday. We've promoted up the order. It's our last chat before we hit the test circuit for the year. Um, Crash, there's been so much to savour at the end of the World Cup, and I thoroughly enjoyed on the weekend reading the long pieces around Travis Head and, and Pat Cummins. Meanwhile, a version of Australia's team continues to play in the T20s, which is about as, as crass as content gets. Um, Australia got walloped last night. The, the quick lesson of the first two games for me has been Australia has great depth on the batting front, but not much depth on the bowling front and is giving out big scores to India. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and that's an Indian team that's their second, very much their second 11 there. And you're, you're right, Jared. You know, after the, the glory of the World Cup, 
within a week we know what's – we found out what's right with cricket. Now we found out what's wrong with cricket. I mean, the, this game is just so flat, isn't it? And, and and as we said, it's like coming on stage after Elvis and wobbling your hips, people saying, oh, mate, can you just get off? <laughs> yes. But, uh, uh, look, you, you're right. I mean, Nathan Ellis – Marcus Stoinis took the new ball. Nathan Ellis, Glenn Maxwell bowled first change, then short out Ab- Sean Abbott bowled three overs for 56. Adam Zampa was in there. I like the fact Tanvir Sanger, the leg spinner, is playing in this game. Four overs, none for 34. Not bad, all things considered. So you're right. Um, and it just goes to show you the big boys are still the big boys in Australian cricket. I mean, we, we you know, Hazelwood, Cummins, Stark, they've been around for a decade, but they're, they're still very much the the. the th- the, the pillars, aren't they, of everything we're trying to do in the sport? Yeah, I don't think there should be a great eagerness to pension them off anytime soon. So, who do, It doesn't matter a whole lot and, in fact, invites ridicule. It matters to the individual. So the English century was so good for his progression. He's clearly inherited the, the gloves as the white ball keeper for the time being. So that was great in game one. And I feel like these games matter for Matt Short. If he could come up with one big score to further vault himself in the in the world of possibility within Australian cricket. Yeah, well, he's seen very much of the next generation, even though he's 28, Matt. Like, he's no boy. So, you know, but he's just in this, this position where – uh, there, there isn't a lot of depth in that age group. So he is one they are watching closely. It's not as if, you know, he's had an outstanding first-class career. He averages 34, I think, which was so-so. But he is a power hitter and they are watching him closely. Inglis was interesting, Jared, because I have to say this. Yes, he did a nice job at the World Cup, but I didn't necessarily see him do too much that Alex Carey could not have done. Like, I, I didn't feel sometimes you see, you move on and you see someone really hit the sweet spot and you said, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, he, he was he was good. He was solid. But I thought, you know, um, and he'll hang on to his position. But I still think Alex Carey had a right to still feel disappointed, you know. Yes. So a couple of centuries in the aftermath of it. But I think um, – He's, I don't know whether he's more suited to T20s than he is ODIs, but it was probably more natural that he was going to be the T20 keeper first and then circumstances presented. Is, um, what is it, the equal fastest men's 100 that we've seen in a T20 for Australia? If if he could do something like that again in these five, it would sort of solidify his place, at least in the T20 format. Yeah, and he's there. He's he's the future. They will move on now. They've got their trophy and he, he should be part of it. So... In, in a way, I think that helps Carey prolong his test career. I think Carey can really concentrate on just squeezing everything he's got out of, you know, this season shouldn't be too challenging, Pakistan and the West Indies. But after that, next year, five tests against India at home. You know, that could be, he'd be eyeing that off and thinking, you know, it's, it's, that's, a, that's the mountain Australia is left to climb, beating India. We've lost the last two series at home, if you can believe that, and abroad. So that's the uncharted peak. All right, I want to delve there in a moment. Just before we do, the, the features that were written and you played a role in this on Travis Head and uh, his the, the, the affection, the fondness for him in what he's been able to do on the field. And then I think what he did off the field has played pretty well for his character as well. Oh, yeah. The landslide celebration about three <laughs> or four days in a row. 
the kid from Gawler who just, you know, and, and it was sort of, I think that plays a role in endearing the Australian public to the team again. Like, he's actually got a bit of character with the daggy old moustache, and he's sort of like a, you could just, it takes no imagination whatsoever to picture him sitting in a dressing room with Doug Walters, you know, in the in the 1980s, in, in that era. But beneath all that, there is a guy, two, two things struck me. One, when he was dropped, he sort of said, as Stephen Moore did, he, 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 he tried to play to what they wanted, wasn't working, he was dropped. He said, well, if I'm coming back, I'm coming back as myself. Steve Waugh once did that too, but he went the other way. Steve had him, said, I'm going to play more conservatively when I come back. That's me. Travis went the opposite way. He said, I'm going to just let the shackles loose and go. And, and it's really worked for him. And the second thing is, Jared, the most underrated part of captaincy, and he, Travis put it on the record, is coming sort of going to him and saying, mate, just be yourself, Trav. That's all we want, you know, like... Don't worry about fitting in here or, or doing anything. Just, just if you want to have a crack, mate, have a crack. That's great captaincy. It never appears on any stat sheets or yeah. anything. People are so much more concerned about how straight your mid-off is or whether you put that extra slip in. I'm telling you, this means four times as much, getting Travis Head to find Travis Head. Yeah, it's, that's lovely. And the other element is that your mind has been wandering to fast bowling captains Australia never had because of the straight-out prejudice, the discrimination against the quickie captain until Pat Cummins. Yeah, well, it just – to think that fast bowling captains captained Australia in one out of 834 tests before Cummins arrived, and it was Ray Limwell due to injury – I think it's outrageous. And I'm not saying that they should have been front and centre all the time, but I will say this, Jared, and I'd be interested in your thoughts. During World Series cricket, Jeff Thompson was a fabulous team bonder. He could have done it instead of Bob Simpson in parts. Uh, Jeff Lawson was the best Sheffield Shield captain I've ever seen. Attacked all the time. Wonderful. I felt there were times he could have done it when Kim Hughes was captain. Keith Miller, debonair, refused to give him the captaincy because they thought he was a loose cannon. Yes. That's true. He was. <laughs> but, but, hey, loose cannons sometimes work. Alan Davidson, still on business boards when he was 82 years old, like, you know, a brilliant man, never captain. Yet Ian Craig was chosen ahead of him. Oh, my goodness. So uh, that, that's – but your thoughts on it and, and – um, I loved uh, reading the piece. So <laughs> the, the most recent one you had was Jason Gillespie, which I could absolutely have seen. I totally agree with you on Jeff Lawson, but I'm going to spend – my whole afternoon is going to be the idea of, of Tomo being Australian test captain rattling around in my mind. <laughs> it's well, an, you know I will say this. When he captained Queensland, a, a, mate, a, a guy I know who played – more than 100 games for Queensland, said Tomo was his favourite captain because he was, uh, you know, he was just sort of, people played for him, they loved him. And, and that's a big part of it. That's why I like Gillespie. I reckon Jason Gillespie would have been Pat Cummins in that you just didn't want to let him down because you sort of liked him. It, we, we always felt, Jerry, do you know when they had the superstar team of Warren and the Wars and all that, Gilchrist, if privately you had a said to him, do a 3-2-1 on your favourite guy in the room. Just, just the guy you liked the most. It was often said Gillespie would have won the canter. He was in no factions. Everyone liked him, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's why we rely on your wisdom and experience, Crash. I'm going to do that next with the 
with the Warner farewell idea, which I, having read what I read on the weekend, it's just got me a bit worked up. So I need a bit of counselling. We'll do that with Robert Craddock after Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. All right, Crash, you ready for me? Because I need a bit of counselling here. All right? Yep. I find the debate around the idea of Dave Warner's farewell test to a curious to the point of being perplexing. So there are a few things that I think are, are confected here. The first is that a Steve War-like farewell tour, right? So mm. Dave Warner is not Steve War, and I don't think it does anyone any favours to pretend that he is. That's the first element. The second, mm. I think people have confused the the last ball of the day century at the SCG with an event that happened in the farewell tour. It wasn't. That, that sort of allowed Steve to continue on his career. The third is that there was a degree of, there was a degree of silliness to that. I, it was, it, it was fun to a degree. It was indulgent, absolutely. People were given red hankies with their newspapers to go and see Steve War off. Feels to me that's not really what Australian cricket has ever done, and you'll recall this better than I. But Alan Border's last test was he was batting out a draw in Durban in the middle of the night. People will say Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne, but that that they. They retired, announced their retirements mid-series and in Warren's case, absolutely abruptly and ahead of time. So it was organic. It wasn't orchestrated. And to give Warner these three tests, you pointed out that this now all has to be focused on India and the next summer that comes. So three against Pakistan, two against the West Indies, two against New Zealand. That's it. Red Bull cricket is a finite resource these days. To give Warner these three tests, Australia has to stare itself in the mirror and say, we're going to hold back progress. And it's important on a few fronts is they're going to need a new opener at some stage, as reluctant as they are around Bancroft and Harrison Renshaw. Someone's going to have to do it. And they've got this long-term project, which has been the best investment I've seen in my time in Australian cricket in Cam Green. You don't want to leave Cam Green out of the test side for too long now. And he can't replace Mitch Marsh. So you could do, if you wanted to, in a season where Australia is going to win and everyone's going to make runs, you could do something fancy and experiment at the top with either Labuschagne or, or Head and bring Green into the middle. And the last bit is the sentiment around this, I reckon, has been drastically overplayed by both of our TV networks, is the Warner Farewell will play well to a portion of the community, but it is going to be bitterly divisive. And I think that has been missed. What am I getting wrong here? No, look, you're not getting wrong. Uh, and, you know, I, I get your point. Uh, but I would take all that emotion to, out to one side and just say he is entitled to be in the team if they still consider him one of the top two opening batsmen in Australia. Like, just the fact that he's, you know, like, intimated that that's when he wants to finish shouldn't detract from the, his right to be selected if he is one of the best two. And if he is, uh, that's, you know, he's, he's in the team for his farewell thing. But I don't believe that the, the, the victory lap should play that big a role in his selection. They've seen him in India. They've seen him in England. Do you still rate him highly or don't you? Bang, he's in or, or he's out. And that's basically it. But you, you're quite right. It's, it's an emotional issue and... Um, I know uh, Ian Healy wanted to play a farewell test at the Gabba before Adam Gilchrist was chosen and Trevor Hones said no. And um, Heels spoke to Mervyn Hughes about it and he thought Merv would probably sympathise with him. And Merv said to him, 
mate, they don't have testimonial tests, I'm sorry. And, you know, the, so that that's what he said. So, but it, it, it's, it, it is a tricky one because they are planning and Australia does not want to go in against India next season with two new opening batsmen against the brilliant mesmeric Mohammed Shami yeah. from one end and Jasprit Boomer from the other. The other weird bit for me is he's not retiring from Australian cricket. He's going to be a long-term part of the white ball setup, and quite rightly so. He's still a brilliant force and a restored force in a way. Is He's not suddenly going to depart Australian cricket. I just feel like, and maybe we've done this for two years, is everyone's tied themselves in knots over this. Is There are 11 batters who played all five tests at the Ashes. Warner was 11th of 11. And bar the 200, which was the perfect valedict- valedictory innings, the, the innings of an absolute champion at the MCG, uh, that was the moment to take the final bow. I, I think I, it's very odd. It strikes me as very odd. And um, who's been uh, Malcolm Knox has been writing about. It. He just can't understand how all the standards of selection that have historically been applied seem to have been put on hold for Warner. Mm. Yeah, it, it was an interesting one. And one of the problems was they were never quite convinced who should replace him. Like, I've got no doubt, Jared, that if Will Pukowski had not had his concussions issues and I see he's rising again, um, David Warner would be in test match retirement right now. You know, that, that's absolutely – that just would have happened. And, and they had such high uh, rating and expectation of him. But the men after Pukowski, uh, Bancroft, uh, Matt Renshaw and guys like that, they just, uh, Marcus Harris, of course, they're struggling to convince themselves either A, whether they are genuine test players and B, whether they're worth usurping Warner. So um, I, I must admit, like, uh, if, if you ask me who I would pick out of Marcus Harris and Renshaw and Bancroft, I'm still... Oh, I'm a bit out now. Do you? I, I, I haven't got my man yet. Have yeah, you? no, well, Bancroft has done everything that's been asked. So weight of runs, consistence, consistently performed. As I think he's clearly the number one ahead of the PM's 11 bat-off. But I I think my first move would be to – I think I would move Manus to open and I'd play green. Um, I don't want green on the test match shelf for particularly long given the investment that's been made. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I see he's playing at the Gabba tomorrow against Queensland, which is good. You know, he, he needs match practice and he needs – he's been traded by his IPL team and he's going to Royal Challengers Bangalore, which is interesting because Faf Duplessis will captain him there. And Or that hasn't been confirmed, but that's the whisper. And that would be a good move for him. I, I think Faf was when – when Faf was a young guy, about the same age as A.B. de Villiers – he said, I'm never going to match A.B. de Villiers as a batsman, so I'll try and be a better captain and be really human-orientated and be sensitive. And so I think he's the sort of guy who could really bring the best out of Cam Green and, and just who needs a bit of a change of scenery. He's, he's a, a mild concern for them because he's just gone flat, Jerry, yeah, yeah. Cam Green. And, and it's quite mysterious. I know he spends a lot of time in his room, as a lot of modern cricketers do. Shane Watson did a chapter on it in his book. He said, he's, I said, I'm quite concerned that a lot of these kids, you know, they, they do. They love their screens. And he said, we get it. It's a changing world. But he said, you develop so much through just interaction with other players socially. And, and you know, so, yeah. But I, I don't, 
Marnus at three, I still like. I'd rather they picked an opening batsman to, to, to bat with Kawaja if they go that way. Um, you know, just if you've got, you got, you know, if Green has to be on the outer, and I do think he's behind Mitch Marsh at the moment. He's definitely uh, behind well, Marsh, well, yeah. Well, he, he's got he's to force his way in. And, Jared, don't underestimate what the struggle might have to do for Cameron Green. That's good. Go back. Score a fighting Sheffield Shield 142. You know, something like that. Get that medium pace up a couple of cogs, you know, and, and, and it might be good for him. But, yeah, the Warner one, I'll be fascinated. Right now, I, I feel he's probably going to play. But it's, uh, it, it, it is a complex choice. But I would take all that emotion out of it and just simply ask, does he deserve to be there on form? Boom, boom. Wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock. We're going to fill in a couple of categories as we bring our sporting year to a close together crash next. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. The sporting year crash has taken us in so many different directions. So as we pull up stumps, as it were, before hitting the road for the test circuit, should we work through a few? What's your favourite moments of the year? Without doubt, uh, the Matildas penalty shootout win over France. <laughs> hey, I've been going to Suncorp Stadium for 30 years and it's the first time when I've been doing a story that my computer has shaken because <laughs> of the force of crowd cheering rocketing through the grandstand. And it was just insane, wasn't it? And if you said what event I would have loved to have been at, it was when Cathy Freeman secretly addressed the Matildas and nothing's been said about this, but I heard behind closed doors, Jared, that Sam Kerr, who defers to no one, like Sam's very confident, she just melted. All, all the, that when Kathy walked in, they just thought it was the greatest thing. <clears throat> and I think her advice to them to to sort of you know how to absorb pressure when the nation's hysterical about you really helped them. But uh, that was my moment of the year. Yours. Uh, no, I'm going to hold mine back for Thursday, Crash. I'm putting my list together. So I'll get you, – you, you, These will, this will be my cheat sheet. Um, so that's your favourite. Is it also the best or, or did you want to differentiate? You get a best moment? Uh, uh, no, that, 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 was, that was my favourite moment of the year. But if you, I suppose if you said sports star of the year, Jared, yep. I, I'd, pro- I'd probably go Ange Postacoglu. I know he's had his third loss in a row. But are you kidding? A guy from our setup in Australia becoming an EPL manager, three times manager of the month in a row, and in imbuing the world's most famous football competition with a special Aussie culture. I mean, that's that to me, I couldn't find anything to get near it. Even if he lost another five games in a row, I'd still say it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, I had him beating in a photo finish, Molly O'Callaghan, who won five gold medals at the World Swim Championships in Fukuoka. I just That was obscene and, and outrageously good stuff. Sporting figure to watch next year? Well, I'm fascinated, as you are, being a live goal, golf nerd, and, and, like in terms of watching the money fly yeah, back yeah. and forth, that John Rahm yes. being offered allegedly $600 million to join it, and they reckon he's going. The hijinks is Phil Mickelson, who's got the same manager as as John Rahn. Blokes are saying, I spoke to Phil and Phil said, done deal. Then Phil's saying on social media, that's rubbish. I never said anything. And But if he goes, wow, that just tips the balance so much. And I, I think, you know, that, that 
Liv then just has the, the, the not just the galaxy of former stars, but the big dog in the fight, and uh, it would be an extraordinary victory for them. And um, look, uh, if you one other one, I did a function Friday with Ariane Titmus, our champion swimmer, and um, who downed Katie Ledecky. And she was just wonderful on stage. And her colourful coach, Dean Boxall, Jared, <laughs> yep. I said to him, how challenging is it reclimbing the mountain after you've just climbed and won a gold and now you're famous and been distracted and everything? And he gave an impassioned plea to her. He said, Arnie, you want to be a mum one day and I know waiting to be a mum, you'd do everything right. You'd eat all the right foods. You'd do everything by the book. You'd be fantastic. That's what I want you to do over the next eight months before Paris. You know, do it for me, you know, and it silenced the crowd. It was magnificent. I loved it. And she said, yeah, I sent you the other day. I will do it. You know, it was just the two of them, they're like an old married couple, but <laughs> it was he got that commitment out of her and, and he loved saying it. He loved putting her on the spot. They're, they're quite something. So I'm following her to Paris to see whether that little on-stage spiel, the plea for total commitment, uh, whether it hit the spot. Yeah, Dean Boxall is Australia's motivator-in-chief and at an Olympic year, he will be central in our thinking. Crash, splendid to spend our Monday mornings together. We rely on your wisdom and experience and tap into it. You're incredibly generous with us right throughout the season. So uh, a big thanks for that. I can't wait to see you on the test circuit. Oh, I can't wait, Jared. I'll see you in Perth. It's been a ton of fun and uh, long may it continue. It's, uh, but, Jared, honestly, it was uh, my pleasure and... Uh, it's an early happy Christmas to everyone, but uh, uh, happy Christmas anyway. Thanks, Jared. Terrific crash. Robert Craddock, the wisdom and experience of all of his years of journalism. He's one of the great storytellers, uh, and I thoroughly enjoy our chats each and every Monday. Um, he'll be on the test circuits. So I'm sure we'll drag him into the box here and there as we work our way through. 0433 98 11 16 40 Winks temper text. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep.